I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs along with Rob Howe once again. What's up, Rob? We made it to May, Andrew. (laughs) Somehow we made it to May. You know, it's funny. I was thinking like uh, (laughs) I saw something where the date, you know, three, whatever, four, whatever. And I was thinking, oh, man, it's it's like it's four. It's four, two right now. And no, no, it's five. We're in the fifth (laughs) month of the year. It may not seem like it. It's one of these things where days go very slowly sometimes. But you look back and the, the weeks have gone very quickly, it feels like. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was um, commenting to my wife the other day um, when we were taking our walk that it just. It seems like now that we're into this routine. I mean, it was new initially, and it just seemed like things were dragging more than you know when we first got into the uh, quarantine and the yeah. pandemic. But now. This is kind of our thing now with uh, the homeschool and uh, working at home and all that other stuff. And it, now that it's routine, uh, time is uh, passing a little quicker, <laughs> at least at least it seems that way. It does. It's amazing how adaptable we are as people. It'll be interesting to see, you know, hopefully as, as this all gets back to normal, uh, how much adjustment it'll be to get to getting back to, you know, what, what the old normal was or whatever we get back to, uh, you know, not taking long walks every day and, you know, being home and all that kind of stuff. It'll be it'll be not you know not spending all your time on puzzles right yeah <laughs> i'm uh i'm slowing down in that regard too i i was uh i was gung-ho initially and now i'm like i'll sit down for maybe an hour or so and i'm like man i gotta move i gotta move around <laughs> or do something and uh we kind of started to attack the yard a little bit yesterday, yeah. and that was uh, that was eye-opening to say the least. Boy, there, there's a lot of neglect out here that needs to be addressed. Yes, <laughs> yes, same here. Yeah, we had the exact same thing this 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 weekend. We were out in the yard a lot, and yeah, man, the the nice weather is just so. It really does help a lot to be able to get outside. You know, let the kids get outside and you know ride around, get some of the uh, the yayas out and all that kind of stuff, and. Uh, it's 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 gonna be okay, Rob. We're gonna get through this. I'm sure of yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and you look at you look like you're saying you try to look for positives or silver linings, and at least we're going through this at a time of year where the weather weather is nice. I couldn't imagine it being December, or January, oh. or February. It was sub zero, and you're just like, man, I don't want to go outside. I, it's nice to be able to get out and uh, enjoy the weather, as you said. It really is. It really is. Well, the Big Ten won't be getting out anytime soon. Uh, 
uh, we, we learned that uh, through June 1st, no organized activities for the Big Ten. Uh, I guess not not anything real surprising there. Um President Harold at Iowa made made some headlines inadvertently last week by saying, you know, Jeez. hey, June, June 1st, we'll, we'll have football back. Um, I, I don't I, think that, that's what he meant, or but that's certainly yeah. how, how a lot of people took it. Yeah, my mother-in-law, who lives in Missouri, about an hour southeast of Kansas City, sends me a text, hey, you guys are getting back to practice? <laughs> On June 1st, and I was like, nah, he kind of uh, walked that back a little bit. I think he may have uh, misspoke there a little bit. And I'm all for, you know, the, you know, positive outlooks and, and hoping things get, you know, back to quote unquote normal as soon as possible. But uh, that's really ambitious to think that you're going to bring 100 plus football players back into a football p- facility uh, in less than a month with where we are right now uh, in this state. But uh, we've talked about it before, Andrew. I think you just, I think if you look too far ahead on this, you'll drive yourself crazy. I yeah. think the Big Ten has handled it really well from the jump. Uh, pretty much, you know, you know, reiterating, it's going to reevaluate things as time passes. And that's really all we can do. We just, you have to see how things are going to shake out here. Hopefully things get to the point this summer where they can bring the football players back uh, and they can get to practicing and working out again. But I just think, again, you drive yourself crazy if you try to put a date on it when there are so many unknowns and they're still trying to, to, you know, increase testing, uh, which is the key to the whole thing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, and you know, it's on, on one hand, you you like the optimism, and you like the uh, you, you have to be prepared, right? And you have to think best case scenario, this is what's going to happen. But as you said, on the other hand, it, it's hard to imagine anything like that. You have to be careful to make sure you couch things like that with, you know, <laughs> this may not be possible, but in in best case scenario, you know, June first would be a day that that we get football players back on campus and and open things back up and, and get going. Uh, I think we all hope that. I don't think uh, any of us. Were really expect that. A couple other things that happened uh, over the last week. I guess uh, one big thing in, in men's basketball, you had a Fran McCaffrey Zoom call. Uh, he had a call with a variety of um, media members. I guess, first of all, the, the thing I wanted to ask you first, Rob, how are the various coaches on Zoom? I, I know you've done one with Fran. You did one with Chris Doyle last week. I think you've had one with uh, with Kirk Ferentz in the past. H- how are these things going? Is it is it so different than a normal press availability? Um, w- what's this been like? Yeah, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier, Andrew, where it becomes more normal as we go, we go through it. Initially, you know, I think Gary Barter was the first one that we did a we did a teleconference with with Kirk Ferentz, and then Gary was the first one to do a Zoom press conference, and that was a little bit different. But each one of these that go by, it becomes a little bit more normal, and the reporters are a little bit more comfortable with you know unmuting the Zoom, and you know everybody's <laughs> a little bit more comfortable with the natural de- delay that is in you know that technology and, and, and unmuting yourself asking a question then muting again and, and things like that just the technical aspects of it so I think people are becoming more you know used to that and it's going a little bit more smoothly each one that we do I was a little disappointed that Fran did audio only and we didn't get the video feed uh, to see how bad. he was doing because Fran um 
he has longer hair and I, I'm wondering if he's got like a big Lebowski look going on or what's going on over there at the McCaffrey house. But uh, yeah, I was disappointed. I, I put my ugly mug on the videos with the hat on and, you know, overgrown eyebrows and beard and all that stuff. So I, I was disappointed that Fran did not, uh, did not do it that way with us. You know, we, we are far um, enough into this that you, you start to, you can tell now who does and doesn't let their spouses cut their hair. Uh, you know, I, I, I noticed this over the weekend. I, I FaceTime with my dad, and I, I think I was like, Dad, that's that's the most hair I've ever seen you have. You know, my dad's kind of a clean-cut guy who has probably gotten a haircut every three weeks his entire adult life. And um, so are, are, uh, are the reporters, can, can you tell, is everybody okay? Is everybody showering and, you know, getting up and getting dressed and all that kind of stuff? Everybody doing all right? Pretty much a mixed bag. I mean, we're all in different <laughs> states of uh, of hygiene, I think, as things go on. And, uh, you know, facial hair. Guys, like you say, that are normally pretty clean cut. Looks like they're letting uh, some hair grow where it normally doesn't. And, um, yeah, I fortunately for me, I got a haircut the week of the Big Ten tournament, which I normally do. Like, nice. the, like the Monday or Tuesday before I leave to go down to Indianapolis or Chicago, I get a haircut. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, – that that saved me a little bit, but it's getting pretty out of hand now, and that's why I just throw a hat on. I, the hat is the 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 cure all to all this. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's it works when you're balding too. I've worn a hat every day since I was you know 25 <laughs> or so. It's, it's it it works well. Well, Fran McCaffrey did talk about some basketball news uh, in that Zoom call. I want to hit on a few of these things. Um, I, I guess first of all, the the health of some of the guys. I I saw that he said uh, his son Patrick is over 200 pounds for the first time ever. That that's really good news. Seems like he's coming along nicely. Um, Jordan Bohannon seems to be recovering well. Uh, Nunji seems to be doing all right. Uh, what did he talk about with the the health of this, in particular those three guys? Yeah, I'll take him one at a time. Patrick, as you said, over two hundred pounds for the first time in his life is really a good sign. The, for those that don't know. They may have just heard that Patrick had uh, cancer when he was in junior high, and it was a thyroid cancer. And part of that is he still takes medication for that and trying to find the right cocktail, for for lack of a better term, of the medication – and diet and exercise and if anybody's ever had problems with your thyroid you know it kind of affects your your energy level they're trying with doctors and trainers to find the right mix for patrick so he can you know function as normally as possible with what he's gone through and what he's going through uh and it sounds like they're on the right track again they've had this before that's happened like when he was in high school uh and different times where they they had to react to how his body was reacting to it and um so it sounds like they're they're getting a, they're they're making progress there, and he's got. Fran said he's got weights at home, and he's working both from a diet perspective and from a, a physical standpoint of being able to get stronger. And uh, you know, if, if things are going in the right way, it sounded like from Fran, and you know, I've talked to Connor about this too that uh, they're on the right track for him being able to play next year. He's still waiting also on a uh, on a waiver. He shouldn't have a problem getting that red shirt from last year i think he played in two games but you still have to go through the process Mm. um 
for uh, getting that extra year. And that's the same with Jordan Bohannon. He's still waiting on clearance from the NCAA. He played, I mean, that was pretty calculated that he played in those 10 games last year, uh, last season, and then shut it down. Uh, I think they went through with compliance in the NCAA that that was the the benchmark or or the the cutoff line, so to speak. So I think he'll be okay there. I thought what Fran said was interesting with Jordan is – similar with Patrick Jordan is in the best shape of his life mm. and you know I sometimes I think people forget you know these are college students and sometimes when they're busy they're picking up quick food here and maybe it's not the most healthy Fran made a point of saying that Jordan has really done a great job with his diet and a great job with getting his body in the best shape it's ever been in so and I think that's important when you're recovering from a pair of hip surgeries as well to be in the best shape to be able to come back from that and then lastly Jack Nungy uh, apparently has an indoor gym at his house in Indiana um, so uh, indoor court so he's able to to get work in there and 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 Fran said that he's making, you know, he's on the right timeline to be able to come back. So it looks like all those guys are on track uh, to be able to come back whenever that season starts. Oh, that's great. And if you're Patrick McCaffrey and Connor as well, you know, not not a bad situation to be quarantined with your you know, college basketball head coach uh, who, can, who can help you out a lot. Uh, they have a full court over there, too. I did a story on those two back. I can't remember. It's probably maybe five or six years ago uh, just on, on – um, on their relationship and kind of how they work out at home and things like that. And I was over at the McCaffrey house and they have a full court in the back and a nice indoor gym with weights. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're in pretty good shape in terms of, uh, of being able to work out. And, and from what Fran said, it sounds like all the players have means of some sort to be able to stay in shape and to work on their games. So that's good, good to hear. Yeah. And, and yeah, I bet the games of two on two in the McCaffrey house are, are probably pretty fun. <laughs> um, talking about Jabo for a minute here. What do you see as as his role then? I guess for for this season, um, when I'm reading some national guys, you know they're talking about how Joe Toussaint may be a breakout player next year, and we saw him get better and better as the year went on. He provided a, a le- level of, of quickness uh, and athleticism, and, and really got kind of smart at the end of the year um, at that point guard position. Was a good player, certainly as I said later in the season. Then you have Jordan Bohannon, who isn't isn't a true point guard, you know, by the the look of things, but you know, is on pace to break the Big Ten record for three pointers. You have to have him out there. Uh, it, it's an embarrassment of riches that this team seems to have all of a sudden. Um, is is Bohannon for sure the starting point guard going into next season, or or is that something he's going to have to win back from Joe Dusant? That's a great question, Andrew, and and I think that's probably you know the uh, great. It's going to be a topic of discussion for us leading into what until the season, and we're able to see how this shakes out. Um, but it's the puzzle. I mean, it's what we've seen in past years with Coach McCaffrey. We didn't see it last year because of the injuries and the attrition that. You know, there were only so many bodies that could play, so everybody got a ton of minutes. Now, with these three guys coming back, in addition to all the returning guys that played last year, minus Cordell Pemsel, uh, Bakari Evelyn, and Ryan Creener, and then to a lesser degree, Riley Till, who kind of got more spot minutes last year, how does Fran put the puzzle together? What combinations can work out on the floor together? I think the ability of a lot of these guys to play multiple positions, multiple positions, excuse me, 
will help him, but you still have to come up with a starting lineup and you still have to come up with a main rotation. And I don't know how he figures that out, to be honest with you. I think it's nice to be able to have Jordan, the ability to play off the ball. Uh, CJ Frederick, uh, you know, also at that two guard spot, if you will. Uh, Connor can play multiple positions. I think you can put Wieskamp at the three or four. You know, uh, I think you want – I think uh, Fran can do a, do a nice job or has the ability to and has – you know, he's capable of being able to match up with what other teams are doing or using lineups to force the hand of other teams. Um, obviously, you have Luca that's going to be out there and everything's going to revolve around him. But if there's a – you know, if teams are collapsing on Luca, you put Bohannon – and Frederick and Wieskamp on the perimeter, they have to be able, you know, opponents have to be able to respect the, the outside shooting there. But then you also may have a situation where Toussaint's ability to penetrate and defend the opposing point guard uh, or more of a priority. So I really think it's a, think it's going to be a lot of mix and match. Um, I think Jordan will be the starter to answer the original question just because of a, you have a fifth-year senior who can mm-hmm. go out there and kind of run the show. Uh, and I think it probably will help Joe Toussaint maybe to come off the bench uh, and get a look at what teams are doing and maybe go in and have an idea of what's going on out there a little bit more. But uh, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of movement just throughout the lineup and different mixing and matching with different lineups. And I think uh, I think that's one of the things that's going to make Iowa really formidable is being able to give opponents so many different looks. Definitely, and you know, being able to kind of sustain a, a level of quality out there even when you have some of your starters uh, getting rest. Obviously, Bohan will be able to get some more rest. It, it's going to be fun to, to watch that, uh, as you said, the puzzle that Fran McCaffrey kind of has to put together, and, and I'm sure he's working on that as we speak. You talk about Luca Garza. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. I saw the, the NBA push back its combine. Um, hasn't set a date for the draft yet. Obviously wants to get the, the rest of the season in or the playoffs in before a draft, and and what is that going to do to a timeline for a college kid who still has eligibility? I think June third is the date, uh, and and as far as I've seen, they haven't changed that yet, but they, they will certainly need to. Um, because it doesn't feel like a month from now uh, any of these players will have gotten a good enough evaluation. Uh, but with, with Luca Garza, I did see Jeff Goodman uh, talked about he talked with some NBA executives about all of the early entry players, and he put together a whole list, and uh, he broke it down into like should definitely go, should maybe go. He has Luca Garza in the go back to school section, uh, and essentially he, he has a quote from an NBA executive saying, uh, "quote I know what he did last season in college, but he could use one more year to work on his body, his perimeter shot, and his defense. Then maybe he gets drafted." So um, I, I think uh, I'm working at least under the impression that that Luca will be back next year. And it sounds like Fran McCaffrey kind of is also really. It sounds like Luca kind of is. He's back in Iowa City now, and I know Fran talked about how he and Bohannon have really been kind of the the leaders throughout this. Uh, have really kind of taken that role, and he's been proud to see that this team uh, doesn't need a whole lot of direction from him right now. They they are they're kind of taking this upon themselves. Yeah, and Luca, the the things that the the NBA executive told Jeff Goodman are basically what Luca told us, right? Um, in terms of you know what he needs to do, what he's working on, and I'm sure he's getting that feedback. And uh, it just seems like even after he declared. You know, even in his statement, um, 
he made sure that everybody knew that the door was open for him coming back. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's always, it seemed like even when he announced that he was going to go through the process, the assumption or the, you know, the, the kind of the impression that we all got and, and the, the thought, I think, and the narrative that wanted, that they wanted out there was that he, this is really him just going for feedback and that he was going to return to school unless something wild happened. And the team said, Hey, listen, we're going to take you in the first round or here's a guaranteed contract or something like that. Lucas said, unless he's guaranteed a spot on NBA roster, he wants to come back. And then just, just different conversations with Fran or Luca. It's been, there's been so much talk about looking ahead to what the possibilities are next season with him being there. And Fran was asked the other day about, you know, how they're proceeding and he's proceeding with the the thought that Luca is coming back and then the possibility that he could go if something changed. So I think they're all handling it the way it should be handled. Um, I do think that Luca's, uh, exposure and ability to impress NBA team teams it's compromised yeah. by what we're going through. He yeah. can't work out. I mean, all they can look at is the tape of him last year and then whatever the preconceived notions are in their heads of what he can and can't do because they can't physically work him out personally. There's, you know, whenever that combine may be, does he even, is he even able to do that before he has to pull his name out? And there's a timeline there that you talked about, Andrew, you know, the college seasons when they, they come back to campus you know is there an overlap with what's you know the nba draft process is still going somebody's got to make a decision on when these timelines are and i'm just looking at it logistically i it's gonna i don't think he's going to be able to do enough to show teams that he's ready now even if he is or you know there's no way of knowing so the the, the chances of him coming back i think are are pretty high i i, I would be most surprised now if, if he were to leave yeah and you're you're exactly right, I think, because if if he were to be able to get into these gyms with some NBA executives, with some scouts, and kind of show that work ethic and impress them in the room and talk to them, you could see a team saying, "You know what? Let's take a shot on this guy. He, you know, he's he's just getting better. He works so hard." Uh, but without that opportunity to do that in person and to really go in and impress people, um, I, I, I agree with you completely and everything you just said. Uh, along with that, it seems like Fran McCaffrey expects that because he talked about recruiting and he says essentially, "Hey, we have 13 guys." On scholarship and, and we're good with those 13 we're not going to try to add uh, another person in in this recruiting class um and, and maybe only one person for for next season yeah and it was interesting because we had seen some uh reports out there that were floated that iowa was involved with uh, i think jalen gibson was one kid uh north carolina forward who uh was committed to wake forest and then when danny manning was let go he was let out of his letter of intent and was open again and so i can't remember who reported that iowa was involved with him and then there was another grad transfer and fran was pretty adamant without even being asked i mean that it was mm-hmm. an unsolicited comment from fran saying hey we're at 13 we're not bringing anybody else in he obviously saw those reports too so that pretty much shot that down and then he talked about the 2021 class where he could see only bringing one guy in even though he'll have you know provided luca comes back he'll have lucas scholarship available to him in the 21 class and then also jordan bohannon scholarship available to him in the 21 class but he also talked about the potential to redshirt at least one of the guys that are coming in in this the five-man 20 uh 
five-player recruiting class uh, or five-player recruiting class that's coming in this whenever this uh, season starts again that he could redshirt a couple of those so maybe not use both scholarships in the 21 class again like the rotational puzzle there's also the recruiting puzzle and you don't want to have too many guys uh, on the bus where guys aren't playing and get you know uh, they they become you know frustrated and, mm-hmm. and transfer and that kind of just starts that whole ball. Uh, there's so much movement in, movement in college sports, particularly you know with the transfer portal and everything. Now you, you're trying to manage that, and I think that's what Fran's talking about. If you're bringing in a grad transfer now or another kid now uh, with having a 13 man roster already, it kind of can upset the chemistry. It can upset the balance of what you're trying to do. It makes a whole lot of sense to me that he came out and said hey this is my roster this is what we're going to work with here whenever the season starts. Yeah I hadn't even thought about that it sends a signal to those five players coming in that that maybe he doesn't think they're ready right away or you know doesn't right. see them in, in kind of the, the short term plans and as we're learning more and more um, that that's a, a breeding ground for kids to, to transfer out of a program if, if they come for a year or two and don't, and don't see where they fit uh, they will right. leave pretty quickly. Uh, somebody who will not be back that we've talked about before but Fran actually got to talk about Cordell Pemsley a little bit. Uh, obviously somebody he's had a, a long-standing relationship with uh, all the way back into, into the high school days. Um, and, and obviously the way he talked about Cordell, somebody who he he has a lot of feelings about. You know, he, he really likes Cordell, is proud of him and, and the way he kind of, uh, for the most part, handled himself as a Hawkeye, the way he fought through some adversity uh, and, and really played a, a pivotal role in some big games this, this past season. Uh, it was good to hear him kind of talk about Pemsel, who is obviously transferring out, is not something any of us wanted to see, but is, is certainly understandable. Yeah, we talk. It kind of connects with what we've been talking about, Andrew, about the you know the the rotation and the ability you know for minutes. Who's going to get what minutes? Is somebody going to be upset that they're not getting enough minutes? Cordell's been around long enough to know what the setup was and what the situation was, and he was going to be somebody towards the back end of that rotation. Uh, and and like we saw this year, getting limited minutes, probably you know more limited minutes next year when the guys return, the guys that were injured. So uh, as Fran mentioned, and uh, it was good to get some clarification on that, that he thinks he can have a bigger role uh, at another program and, and Fran encouraged that and believed that he could uh, and he found that at Virginia Tech and it, it kind of was with Fran's blessing and it was good to it was just good to hear Fran kind of uh you know, acknowledge what Cordell gave to the program and his his uh, appreciation for him fighting through injuries. I think he said, I think he even said that he has a soft spot in his heart for what Cordell went through and, you know, kept fighting uh, for. And, and a lot of guys kind of walk away when it gets like that, but Cordell does deserve. He had some slip-offs, slip-ups off the court. Excuse me, no doubt about that. But again, he was very, very well liked by his teammates and the coaches. And uh, I'm sure they'll all be rooting for him this season when he gets to Virginia Tech. Last thing on the, the McCaffrey Zoom call in men's basketball before we move over to uh, to football, uh, the, the the whole tournament, the exempt tournament for <laughs> next season. I'm I'm a bit confused by this uh, as as far as like why Iowa isn't in one of these, you know, Battle for the Bahamas or or you know the the Vegas tournament from last season. And and then kind of what the plan is to host a tournament like this in Iowa City. I'm guessing over Thanksgiving weekend, the, the, you know, the same time all these other tournaments are going on. 
Yeah, it was interesting. This this topic is the one that got the most attention out of all the things Fran talked about <laughs> yeah. last week. People were most interested in, in discussing this. And uh, that's because their games you know this is what are we going to get to see who are we going to get to see this team compete against and, and you know you, you think about like like for this past season the way Iowa did in that tournament down in, in Las Vegas to, right. to beat Texas Tech and it really kind of set the tone and I feel like that's happened a couple of times where, where that, that early exempt tournament kind of sets the tone for, for the season it happened what two years ago when, when they were when they were terrible and they went down and you know I think I think it was in Atlantis was in the Bahamas that year or uh, the Virgin Islands maybe um, somewhere down there and, and and lost a couple of tough games and it led to a tough season. Yeah, the Virgin Islands, I think, was the, the – they lost to – some mid-major yeah, schools right. down there was yeah and that led to a really uh long season a, a frustrating season but they had success in in uh the whatever tip off it was in madison square garden the one <laughs> yes, year yes um like you said atlantis vegas they've they've had they've done well at the beginning of the season in some of these tournaments and these tournaments often are um set up you know, quite a ways out. And I have not, we didn't get a chance to ask Fran why Iowa, if, if it was, you know, I can't imagine because you look at it and almost they're the only Big Ten school that's not in one of these tournaments. Wow. Next season. And if you look at it from a, you know, a power five, a high major program perspective, it's Iowa, Georgia Tech, Washington, and Georgia. Those are the. There are four high major programs that are not in one of these exempt preseason tournaments. I, I I'm, you know, I, I look forward to getting from Fran more information on why that was. If they were just left out, if it was intentional, because um, it just doesn't. It doesn't really add up. I mean, Iowa is going to be a premier program next year. Although when these things were scheduled, they may not have known that, and right. they may not, you know, you, you know, whoever was saying, you know, let's come in. Uh, for you know the battle for Atlantis or the NIT preseason thing in Brooklyn or the Madison Square Garden or the Vegas or any of that stuff. I don't know logistically why it didn't work out for Iowa, but I do find it interesting that it's you know that Iowa's going to have its own tournament, the old Amana Colonies Classic or whatever the thing is they used to call <laughs> call that thing back. And you know what, Andrew? Maybe one of these other Power Five programs that didn't get in. We'll say, listen, we, we want that competition. We'd love to take a shot at Iowa, a top 10, top yeah. five team on its home court, whether that be Georgia Tech, Washington, or Georgia. And, oh, yeah, the guy who's coaching at Georgia is Tom Crean, who was one of the first people to call mm. Fran when Patrick was diagnosed with cancer to reach out because he had dealt with some of that in his life. They're friends. And so maybe you get, you know – Iowa and Georgia as the two marquee teams in an Iowa Amana Classics tournament and some other schools that are available out there are Fordham, George Washington, St. Joe's, East Carolina, SMU, Tulane, Loyola, Marymount, Pacific, and San Diego. Those are all the schools that as, as of right now do are not um, connected or, or, or haven't been booked 
in an exempt preseason tournament. So this thing may not be as bad as people are making it out to be. And Iowa's going to get a premier game in the ACC Big Ten tournament because Iowa's going to be one of the top teams. It's going to get one of the tougher games in that. There's still a chance that it gets in the Gavit games. It has one more Gavit game to play, and there are two more years in that mm. agreement with the Gavit games. So Iowa will play one either this year or next year, and most likely that will be on the road. In fact, I think it will be on the road. So that could come up this year. And then you have 20 conference games. I I think people worrying about the strength of Iowa's schedule at this point, and I've seen a lot of that. Let's just wait to see how this thing plays out. Yeah, and that that was my next question because you know the the net rankings, the, the you know the new RPI, the computers for whatever reason haven't liked Iowa a lot in the past. We we saw that uh, this past season they were they were always lower in the net rankings than they were you know in in the AP poll and, and things like that. Uh, even then than they were in the standings of the Big Ten. Uh, but I think I think you're exactly right. I think you get a, a good opponent in the the ACC. I think if you're the Gavit Games, you probably want Iowa this year, especially right. if Luca Garza is going to come back. Yep. Uh, that again. And a premier opponent. Um, How about like Iowa versus Creighton? Yeah, right. That'd be fantastic. Uh, you, you have the game against Iowa State again, and yep. you know wh- who knows what, how good they're going to be. But that's another Power Five game and a, a rivalry game. Um, and so I, I'm less worried about the strength of schedule. It, it will be interesting to hear kind of how this all played out this way because uh, that list of schools that's not in any of these tournaments, Iowa's <laughs> like the you know which one of these things is not like the other. Well, at least right now, Iowa, as you said, coming in, hopefully a top 10 program, you know, one of the favorites to win the Big Ten, to not be included in that is is kind of bizarre. But it, it'll be... And, and Fran did talk about the possibility, or they're trying to find... Uh, another game like Cincinnati last year, like yeah. that, uh, the Chicago Classic or whatever the heck that was, a neutral court game against another, you know, recognizable opponent. So, if you were to add that, and then you had the ACC, the Gavit games, and Iowa State, that takes you to twenty-four high major games out of thirty-one. And Jeez. that, I think, yeah. if you put that up against most teams across the country, that's probably pretty comparable. I think you're probably right. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, moving away from basketball a little bit here. We'll go to, uh, I know you had another Zoom call with another coach in Chris Doyle, Iowa's football strength and conditioning coach. Uh, any Anything newsy out of there? Did, did he talk about uh, how how the players are, are doing, how they're staying connected, how they are, uh, I guess, preparing now since they didn't have spring football and who knows when they'll get on campus in the summer, how they're getting ready for the season? Yeah, it was interesting, Andrew, that, you know, just kind of the phases that they had to go through. Uh, I think the, the positive thing that came out of the off season is the day before, I think, they were sent home for spring break and then obviously the campus closed. They had finished an eight-week training program, a pretty vigorous eight-week training program that leads up to spring football. They usually complete that training, then there's the spring break week off, and then they return to campus and start spring football and go for a month on that obviously that was wiped out by covid but um they were able to get all of that so they kind of went into this 
on a roll of being together and being training. And Iowa does uh, what it's called. It's it's called a Hawkeye Championship Program. And basically what they do is they break the team up into groups of 17 players. And then within that group, you have a cap, two captains and then also – position coaches are assigned to those groups so they're like small and it's not based just on you know each position they don't break into positions it's more of a training uh grouping so they kind of had those set up going into this so that was it it was kind of they had a structure to work into the training that they're doing during the pandemic and you know then then they got with these guys and figured out okay I think there were four groups. You had you had people that you know you had players that had access to you know weight rooms at their high schools maybe where the coaches there said okay we'll we'll quarantine and, and close this off so you can go in by yourself and do workouts and then there was you know garage home gyms and then there were guys that just had maybe dumbbells or some you know a smaller and then there were guys that didn't have anything that just had body resistance and and were able to train that way and then they carved out training programs for each of these. You know, each of the guys that fit into different groups and, you know, continued on with training with, again, oversight from this Hawkeye championship. I know this is kind of involved, but I found it intriguing that they were able to do this. And in typical Chris Doyle fashion, he said, you know, everybody in college football is going through the same challenges. Um here's this quote everybody in college football is experiencing the exact same challenges and we have to do it better than everybody else stress and adversity tends to break the weak (laughs) and strengthen the strong it's our job to create an advantage for iowa football as we come out of covid it's our job to to have developed routines habits and the necessary resolve that galvanizes us and we hit the ground running whenever that is we're communicating and connecting at a high level and taking care of our own individual routines in our homes where we're at so that makes you want to run through a brick wall and (laughs) and iowa wants to win the covid training and i know some people look at that and say ah that's kind of you know mumbo jumbo or goofy you know motivational stuff but that's how this culture is built and uh it's it's encouraging and and it's also uh kind of inspirational that they're able to do this through the pandemic and they've also been able to get guys equipment you know through the over time here maybe guys that didn't have certain equipment they've been able to get equipment to certain guys so uh the training is continually improving you know there's an extent to which rob that that stuff like that is certainly coach speak but when it connects with with the team and when it connects with your audience it works very well and you talk about the culture building and and i think we're seeing that in the recruiting you know we have kirk ferentz who's through his 21st season and somehow the recruiting is maybe as as good as it's ever been uh what five commits in the last couple of weeks a couple of big ones we we talked last week about max llewellyn uh from here in urbandale and I think we've mentioned Bo Stevens before as well, but uh, mm-hmm. to add Brody Brecht from from Ankeny, uh, who's a big, fast receiver, um, David David Koff is is that David Koff? <laughs> I'm just guessing on that one. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I think we'll find uh, out soon enough. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then Arlen Bruce from from Kansas City, the receiver. Uh, 
uh, Iowa has now vaulted itself into the top ten of these of these recruiting rankings, and you know, I don't think they're going to stay there or anything like that. But to have fourteen commits in the in the twenty one class, and and seems like they're getting a lot of the guys they want to get. They're certainly beating Iowa State out for all these recruits, all these local guys, uh, and and beating. I feel like this culture and the stability of this program is something that in this time of uncertainty, when nobody really knows what's going on, it's it's easy as a, a high school junior and incoming senior to look at Iowa and say, okay, I don't know when all this is going to come, you know, come into fruition, but I see what they do, I see how they do it. This is the way they all talk to me. You know, they all kind of have this same uh, this same way of talking. And then you see what they do with these guys. They take two star guys and send them into the NFL in three years. Uh, I feel like the culture that they built. And and the, the, some of the Chris Doyle quotes you just read uh, is is a big part of that is is really kind of showing itself in a lot of ways right now. That's it's it's kind of remarkable. Twenty one years into the Ferentz era, that that it's going as well as it is. Yeah, you make a great point, Andrew. I think that stability uh, that you see at Iowa is something that uh, that kind of. Uh, that message reaches these kids it rings true with them that because you see so much coaching turnover and guys leaving programs and going into that transfer portal that we talked about and player turnover certainly Iowa has its own battles with that and, and, and has to contend with that that's just the kind of the landscape of college athletics now but from a stability standpoint and from a cultural standpoint you know what you're getting with Iowa there aren't any you know there, there's no smoke and mirrors there and, and talking with some of these guys they talk about that that the Iowa coaches aren't telling you kind of what you want to hear as a recruit they're telling you what how it's going to be and when you do that you you know the the kids that are already in the program the players that are already in the program can then convey to kids that are looking at Iowa hey yeah what they told me is what I got I there weren't any you know there were there weren't any you know uh, games being played here I mm. knew what I was getting myself into I got to campus and this is what it is and I think when we've talked about this before I think Kirk's done a, a really good job of rebuilding his staff with some some young guys that bring a lot of energy and we've seen it from you know from Jay Neiman who just came on last year who I think played a really big role in getting Max Llewellyn uh, you know to Arlen Brewer Bruce and Bo Stevens down in the Kansas City area where Kelton Copeland got got in down there. Uh, in addition to Tim Polisek and, and Brian Ferentz and LeVar Woods, a lot of young energy in this staff and Kelvin Bell. And I think they're all on the same page and they're all delivering the same message and they're all selling, you know, figuratively selling this, the same thing to these prospects and it's reaching them and they're in a really good run right now. And I agree with you. This team, I think is ranked sixth right now with the 2021 class. Some, some of the, 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 one of the components that's baked into that ranking is the amount of recruits you have. And Iowa has 14 verbals, which is among the most in the nation for the 21 class. I think I, that ranking will come back. And people have asked me on the Mailbag podcast where I think it will be. I think it'll be somewhere in that top 25, which is great for mm-hmm. Iowa. I don't think it will top the 2005 class, which ended up being ranked number 11th nationally, I believe, by rivals. That's really hard to do do uh penn state i think has seven or eight commitments right now my my 
my guess here is Penn State ends up passing Iowa, uh, and then we'll be with Michigan and Ohio State. There is that higher hierarchy there in the Big Ten no that's just tough to get over. But if Iowa can be in that next range there behind Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and then be in there with Wisconsin and Nebraska and Michigan State and schools like that, I think it's doing fine. And I really like that with this class, Andrew, it's not only addressing needs, but it seems to be getting guys that fit this recent mold of having some flexibility and just really good all-around athletes that they can get on campus and they can mold into what they want. It's it's been a lot of fun to watch, and if if you want a deep dive on any of these recruits or all of them, uh, check out HawkeyeNation.com. Rob does a great job of of doing write ups whenever these guys commit, and you know you have several uh, podcast prospect podcasts. I always have trouble with that one uh, with these guys, and so yeah, check out check out Hawkeye Nation for all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, one one uh, one other thing that I want to throw in here, yeah. Andrew, is the interesting thing with Brody Brecht, who ended up picking Iowa over Iowa State. He got down to those two. Is he's going to try to play baseball and. Uh, He got with Kirk and Rick Heller on a Zoom, and they were trying to logistically work out how that could happen. I'll be interested to see if he can do it. We haven't, we haven't seen that baseball, football, uh, two sport athlete around here in quite some time. It's really, really hard to do right now with the the, with the. you know, with the commitments that that you have to do for football year round, being able to do, you know, being able to play baseball at the same time. I remember talking to AJ Epinesa and Tristan Wirfs, both who were among the national leaders in their respective events in track and field. Uh, AJ with the disc, uh, Tristan with the shot put, and, and in talking to Joey Woody after the fact, he felt those guys could be almost all American level uh, in college track. But they just they realized when they got here, both of those guys played as true freshmen, just couldn't do it. They couldn't fit in track with football. I'm really interested to see and rooting for Brody to be able to do that because I think it'd be a great story. I we see it with Connor McCaffrey being able to do it with basketball and baseball, and I think that's a little bit easier. The football football with another sport is really hard. We saw, I think it was Emmanuel Aguo and Tori Campbell mm. uh, were two sprinters of, of you know within the last decade or so that came to Iowa wanting to wanting to run track and play football. Both of those guys ended up going, moving to track and going to different schools to do that. Rob, uh, I, I want to leave a little meat on this football bone for next week. So, uh, EVA, I, I want to tease ahead that uh, I, I want to deep dive your your column, which is a fantastic column, and people should definitely go back and, and read it from HawkeyeNation.com. Uh, looking ahead at, at who could be a future NFL draft pick from Iowa, you kind of go through not just the, the senior guys and then the guys everybody expects, but uh, some guys who may be early entries. Uh, we're going to save that for next week. We've, we've cool. talked a lot of football here. Um, and so I, I'm going to leave a little meat on the bone and, and throw a tease there for <laughs> for next Monday. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention here before we get out of here, uh, Spencer Lee won a, a really cool award uh, last week. Obviously, I was wrestler was was the wrestler of the year uh, in in the Big Ten and the NCAA was certainly uh, on par. I mean, his his 2020 Rob was was it could have been a third national championship, a team national championship, the first for the Hawkeyes in a decade, and an Olympic gold medal, uh, and and all of that kind of went by the wayside. But he did get a cool award from the AAU. Uh, he, along with Oregon's uh, Sabrina Ionesco, won the James E. Sullivan Award, uh, which. 
I don't think many people had heard about a lot before, but once you do a little uh, research into exactly what that means, uh, given annually to the most outstanding amateur athlete in the country, which... Again, it is not just their sports. This is saying Spencer Lee and and Sabrina Ionescu, who's one of the greatest women's basketball players in, in college basketball history, are, are the the two best college athletes in the country. Uh, just a really really cool award for Spencer Lee, and uh, the spotlight is going to be so bright on this kid as he moves forward. Yeah, is it me, Andrew, or was this a bigger award back in the day? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. It just seemed like I remember it being a bigger deal. I, I don't know what is it that some sports that used to be amateur have gone professional. Maybe that's why. That could be why. Because you look at the other wrestlers that have won it. I think, what was he, the fifth wrestler? You yes. got Bruce Baumgartner, Rulon Gardner, John Smith, and Kyle Snyder, some really big names in the sport that have won this award. Um, it just seemed like the field was bigger. But this, like you said, it's still an amazing award to think that of all the amateur athletes, he's considered the, you know at the top of the heap with Sabrina. And uh, it just – it it makes me feel even worse <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah we've talked about this before on this podcast um i just I've, I, and i don't like to to kind of rank or you know put in you know put these in order but i feel worse for spencer i think yeah or as bad for him as anybody else who was affected by this from an iowa athletic standpoint because of the historical perspective of him being able to, as you said, win his third national championship with the potential to win his fourth and how rare that is, it, it really, this pandemic, this virus really changed the course of history for him and I just feel for him and I'm glad he was able to win this as you know another uh, feather in his cap but it's always going to bug me Mm. that he's not able to be a four-time national champion and nothing and and him he had nothing to do with that I guess is what I'm trying to say yeah and you know we've talked several times about uh, all there was left for the basketball team to do and how excited we were to see what they were going to do in the postseason but even with all that said I think you're exactly right Spencer Lee in particular and then the wrestling program in general uh, probably the ones that that got screwed the worst in, in this whole thing and again not, not because of anything they did which even makes it kind of harder but the things that were on the table and really expected of them uh, you know we, we thought Iowa could maybe should get to a sweet 16 and maybe get beyond that you know should make a nice run in the Big Ten tournament in basketball but we expected a national championship from this, this wrestling team and I think they would have gotten there and we expected Spencer Lee to, to do these things and I think he probably would have and so so to see that ripped away from from them and him in particular I think you're exactly right is is probably the the worst of of all of this for Iowa athletics I wonder if they'll be like an and, and I know this is kind of cheapening it in a way maybe but just an aster- asterisk yeah. next next to Spencer Lee saying he won three national championship and didn't have that opportunity to be a four-time. I just hope somewhere he's recognized, and, and I know he's being recognized for a lot of these awards and he won the Hodge and all that other stuff, but just a, 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 you know being recognized that he, he could be in that group of four-time uh, national championships if given the opportunity. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I hope 
hope they find a way to somehow in the history books, yeah, mark mark this down because yeah, it's it's not like he got hurt. It's not like uh, anything else happened. It was the the world shut down what, a right. couple of weeks before he had his opportunity to do these things. Rob, another uh, another good podcast, man. What we're six, seven, eight weeks into this thing and uh, and still have plenty of Hawkeye sports to talk about. It's fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's great because somebody uh, reached out to me on Twitter was like, how are you guys doing podcasts with no sports? And I was like, hey, there are topics every week, Absolutely. you know, and, and I, I credit Iowa, Andrew, for, for staying in the news cycle, for yes. doing these Zoom press conferences and reaching out to us and, and, and letting us kind of continue to keep um, the public engaged. And I think it helps everybody along when we're, we're still talking about the seasons that are, are going to come up at some point and and talking about different topics and the recruiting and all that other stuff it's nice to have this stuff as an as an escape for everybody it really really is and it's nice to talk to you each and every week rob check out hawkeyenation.com obviously rob will have his mailbag pod hit him up on twitter uh to, to submit any questions for that uh who knows what recruiting will do this week and, and who knows uh what other news will happen between now and next monday but we will certainly be there to cover it for you on Hawkeye Nation. Then Rob and I will be back next Monday to talk about it all. Rob, uh, enjoy your week, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Andrew. You too, bud. All right. Thank you for listening and go Hawks. 